As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. All right, Mike. Yes. You were at Disney World last week for a much-deserved vacation. I was. Yeah, we had an awesome time at Disney World with the family. So what was your favorite part of the experience? That is a tough one. You know, for whatever reason, Epcot has always been, like, my Mm. favorite uh, park. I think just as a kid, uh, I remember... You know, Disney, you know, to me specifically, Epcot is giving you this future of what the world will look like. And it's kind of funny because now when you walk into Epcot, it almost, se- I mean, it totally seems like 1980s, but it's it still, totally about, is. they have a part called Future World. And, but it's still just kind of for nostalgic reasons, I think is still my favorite. So one might say that 
the experience created at Epcot is the result of user-centered design. I would agree with that. And if that's what we're talking about today, um, isn't that more of a term that kind of makes sense from the 80s? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Donald Norman popularized it in his book, The Design of Everyday Things, which is truly a must read for anyone building product. You didn't get an interview with Donald Norman, did you? What if I said yes? I would be really impressed if you said yes. <laughs> well, I didn't. No, but <laughs> I did okay. talk with San Diego native Eric Weiss, who's the founder of Full Cycle Product Development, a product consultancy, about how he used some of the core concepts to unlock huge growth while consulting for Sendlane. All right. Well, I will forgive you this time, but <laughs> we should at least try to get Donald Norman or maybe even uh, Jacob Nielsen next time to talk about user-centered design, don't you think? I, I promise I will. I will try. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So before diving in too far on the story of Senlane, we should probably define what is user-centered design. It's actually right in the name. Oh, you're not going to roll a clip of Eric Weiss explaining it or something like that? <laughs> I mean, it's called user-centered design, right? You design with the user in mind. Yeah. Okay. But there's got to be more to it than that too, right? Like, okay, hold on. I will pull up Wikipedia and it says it could be characterized as a multi-stage problem-solving process that not only requires designers to analyze and envision the way users are likely to consume a product, but also to validate their assumptions with regard to the user behavior in real-world tests. Not bad. Okay. I'll roll it. Here's how Eric defines it as well. It essentially, you know, well, so taking agile as, as kind of the baseline, right? So agile development is all around um, quick iterations and tight feedback loops. Um, essentially, experimentation or the scientific method applied to, to, to product development. And user-centered design is basically taking that um, and with respect to customer feedback. So basically just getting really, really close to your customers, engaging with them regularly, um, and at every possible step along the process from, you know, the, the idea, the concept, um, you know, the various artifacts and the refining of the, of the solution, um, and obviously through releases and iteration, getting that in front of customers and capturing user feedback in um, many different ways, essentially gathering data and then using that data to, to drive your product decisions. Basically the same thing, but with an agile twist sort of updated to 2019, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. It's another great reminder to keep your customers close. And your enemies closer. No, I guess, I guess that doesn't really work. It just felt like it would be good to say. <laughs> almost there, almost there. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, today we have the story of Sendlane and how they use user-centered design to create huge growth within their organization. Awesome. Well, and I should say, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm not too <laughs> familiar with Sendlane, actually. Okay, so according to their marketing, their intelligent cross-channel marketing automation designed to empower businesses to connect with customers through automated behavior-based communications. Okay. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find something better. Um, let's try this marketing video. We empower the modern marketer with the next generation of marketing automation, connecting your web, social, and customer communications all under one roof. 
Sendlane helps your business create personalized interactions that are required to cut through the noise and give your customers the unique experience they deserve. We give you the ability to track the movement of each contact from the exact moment they visit your website to the moment that visitor becomes a lead or customer. Plus, that contact's behavior can trigger a series of different actions and events in the background. From tagging for real-time segmentation to triggering an action like starting or stopping a Facebook ad campaign and so much more. Sendlane helps you create custom-tailored journeys for every leader customer, guiding contacts through their buying decisions and increasing your LTV. 100% automated. Okay, I'm starting to get it. It's marketing automation focused on email, SMS, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, it works for me. I kind of get it. All right, so let's set the stage a bit here. Sendlane grew fast. They hit a certain size, and now they've started to plateau in many ways. So revenue, traffic. Yeah, both, and even ideas. Ideas. Yeah, so it sounded like they'd run their initial roadmap, which was the founder's vision. But at a certain point, they stopped listening to their customers. Probably because they saw so much success in that initial playbook, but this is a very natural position for companies to find themselves in. They essentially lost sight of what their customers, you know, really wanted or what really could help them. We knew that the vision or the, the, the value proposition for the customers was, you know, increase revenue through email. Like that's the, the, you know, the foundational problem that they're trying to solve. They want to use email marketing to increase revenue. And so we have all these different features that we could implement um, to try to do that. And, you know, with varying degrees of, of success. So one of the things that worked really well um, where I tried to kind of bring this user-centered approach was to go and talk to a number of customers and understand what, how they use the platform and what really worked for them. Um, so the thing about you know, an, an email platform is, is it's kind of this, um, it's a blank slate. You can do with it what you want. It, it's a content platform. And this is an interesting problem that so many platforms run into. Right. They're providing a service, but their users have the freedom to make their campaign successful or not, which has a direct effect on their churn rate. Right, but that success or unsuccess is its a bit out of their hands, honestly. So what did they do? So we basically looked at the most successful customers and we, we did a case study with them where we um, dove into all of their campaigns and tried to look at, you know, what, um, see if we could, if we could pull out anything that, that was significant, you know, whether it was the, you know, the duration of the campaign, the language, we did sentiment analysis, um, how, you know, how, how long did it wait between, um, between emails, the length of the emails, the, the design, you know, all these different variables uh, to try to understand what, you know, what converted the best. Then we took that and went to sort of the average case, the, the customers that were just doing okay. And we implemented a lot of these different things um, to try to understand, you know, if, if we could, if we could uh, eke out some improvement. Interesting. So they identified the folks that were successful, studied them, and tried to bring some of those learnings to the platform as a whole. Okay, I really want to know more about this, but we should take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. 
Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So we were talking about Sendlane using user-centered design to create growth after they started to plateau a bit. Now, I'm curious about the process of data collection actually looked like for them. Well, you know, we started small. Um, It just started with interviews with some of our, you know, sort of bigger customers or ones that we knew were really successful that were already had a good relationship with. Um, So, you know, crafting an interview template. Um, you know, going out and scheduling interviews, talking to the folks, and then basically just, you know, recording the sessions and then also kind of capturing the data um, in a, you know, in a, in a Google sheet um, and then trying to capture enough of those where we could start to spot some trends or some commonalities between them. Um, so I think we interviewed, you know, maybe uh, um, 25 or 30 uh, different customers and, uh, you know, over the course of a few weeks, um, found a few patterns that, that seemed to stick out. Um, that again created sort of a hypothesis. You know, okay, we we think that this might be an indicator. Then the experiment was, well, now let's go to kind of the average case and uh, and apply some of those learnings, and then see if we can produce the same results. And what came out of it was a bit surprising. We had some success, and uh, you know, we published that as a case study. But then we actually created training around it. So training videos, as well as some done for you kind of out of the box templates um, to actually improve the efficacy of the platform by having, you know, um, sort of use cases that that we knew converted really well. So we were able to actually increase the efficacy of the product without even creating any new features, which was pretty cool. So they were able to create growth without even making product improvements. I'm pretty curious about what they learned in studying those successful users. Well, you know, obviously some some um, challenging of assumptions for sure. So we were investing a lot or they were investing a lot in um, in design templates um, in, you know, basically making these really beautiful, almost like website style layouts to the emails. And what we found was that some of the things that converted really well were actually just plain text. Um, so plain text actually converts better. So some things that are, that were counterintuitive to us, meaning the professionalism, um, so less professional looking emails actually worked better. So, subject lines with with without capitalization and you know again the lack of any sort of graphic uh, or or graphical layout basically short text based emails with a with a clear message and a clear call to action with a kind of a human um, you know conversational approach tend to to work better and that was something that was really surprising to us plain text actually converts better are you ready to undesign the rocket ship emails <laughs> i mean I'm not against it. (laughs) So, okay, now they've collected all this information. They're getting some surprising results that's making them rethink the roadmap. How did they act on all this? Well, so we stayed, you know, kind of closely in touch with um, with the test subjects, if you will, uh, throughout the course of it. And so we were kind of working with them to measure their outcome. Now, the you know, we had all the data in terms of click throughs and, and even conversions. So we had a lot of that data on our own. Um, but, you know, we obviously they have data on their side in terms of increased you know, traffic or purchases or things like that. Um, so, yeah, it was it was obviously a, a collaboration. And the effect on the company? Well, two big things. One is it was actually remarkably cheap compared to the alternative, which was to build a bunch of stuff that nobody wanted, right? Um, so, so in fact, you know, 
the work that went involved in, into the case study, um, you know, would have been comparable to, you know, say one developer you know, over the course of a, of a few weeks. Whereas if we had actually tried to build these things out as features without without validating them first, I mean, it would have been a you know a team of um, you know, maybe ten or so people working full time. So I mean, it, the cost was much much less. And in fact, again, the the outcome of this. Um, was very, very little development time. Most of it was, you know, obviously the research, but training and, you know, even emails that we would send out like, hey, here's your blog post, right? Here's a guide on, how, on what converts well and publishing the results of that case study. So we were actually able to, again, you know, the, the purpose of the product, you know, the end goal from the, and this is what you're kind of talking about from the user perspective. The, the user's goal is to increase revenue and conversions through the platform of email marketing, right? So by any means necessary, whether it's a feature on a platform or training or done for you templates, you know, what have you, any means necessary works. And so I'm actually now really, it was really exciting um, to kind of open our eyes to see that we could actually accomplish our goal without having to develop our way there. Okay, so we'll be right back with Sendlane's solution based on their user-centered design work right after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, I'm sure everybody is sitting in suspense here. The solution is really clever. We we alluded to it a bit earlier in the episode. Are you just going to drag this out, Michael? Okay, okay, I'll roll the clip. So actually, since then, um, we went and, and built a whole uh, course, uh, an info product, essentially, an info product layer on top of uh, the platform, because we kind of realized like, okay, well, you know, it's not really about AI and machine learning and all this really fancy prediction you know, to convert, it's really just, can we, can we get people educated and get people, you know, teaching people the, the best practices and, and things that really work, um, and, and just basically make it easier for them. Um, so that obviously is a little bit long-winded way of answering your question, but yeah, so that was just really invigorating and energizing, you know, that's brilliant. A ton of upfront work saved them a lot of money in development by solving the real issue their customers were facing. And it wasn't a new feature that they needed. Yeah, not everything needs a new feature to solve big problems. I absolutely love the lesson here. So you talked with Eric about the AARRR metrics as well, right? What was that? You know, the the pirate metrics, uh, AARRR or Arr. <laughs> right, right. I was just waiting for that. <laughs> um, yeah, of course okay, you so are. that's <laughs> acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, and referral. Which spells R. Thank you. <laughs> so the 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 challenge or the problem that I faced, uh, this was when I was CTO of my last company, um, where we were making product decisions based on big opinions, right? And, and so there's a, I call it highly paid people's opinions or hippos. Um, so we'd have the CEO, we'd have the, you know, our, our investors or our biggest customers or clients or sort of sales process, prospects that would be driving what features we would build next. Um, so there's no strategy there. That's just sort of purely tactical or, or emotional, you know, way of, of driving product. And so um, we would get into these roadmap discussions and it would just be an argument about 
what to build based on kind of how we felt and, and whoever sort of, you know, yelled the loudest or, you know, could sort of have the best oratory or, you know, persuasion uh, would get their features built. And, you know, then it would mean that essentially it was the CEO that was, that was driving everything. Um, and so me being head of product, I, it was sort of, um, uh, it was it was disheartening or discouraging. So he wanted the organization to be more data driven. And suddenly there was an easy to understand framework that helped communicate where they should be focusing. Now, I'm guessing he didn't stop there. No, he didn't. We created this sort of weighted formula, this weighted average model where we could actually put a different emphasis on one of those different drivers, depending on our strategic goals. So if, hey, we're filling the funnel really well, but we're having a really hard time retaining people, well, then you would you know, put a one for acquisition and you would put a five for retention. And so then when we would have our roadmap discussions, we would go through and, and instead of talking about how great we thought something was or, or if a particular uh, you know, big lead wanted this feature to, to close the deal, it would be based on objective, you know, um, objective data and decisions. We'd have to make the case that this feature is going to have a high impact on this business driver, which we've all agreed is the most important thing strategically. Um, and then you have to bring some kind of a, a business case, some way of backing it up, either, you know, looking out at the industry, looking at competitors, um, you know, looking at uh, um, maybe an experiment, a growth hacking experiment that you've done, or, um, uh, you know, essentially comparing it to some other feature that you've done in the past to make that compelling argument that this thing is going to, um, to make that impact. Then we actually tie it back where every feature that gets released has to have a way of measuring the impact. So basically, you know, we run these, these controlled experiments um, using cohorts, uh, essentially limiting the amount of functionality that gets released in any iteration, um, and then trying to do a kind of an A-B test um, so that we can measure, did it really have the impact that we thought it did? Um, and, and that com comes back into the, into the roadmap planning process where we can essentially say, you know, hey, how good are we at this? And if, if, we, if we're off, um, what went wrong? What are we missing? So it's kind of a retrospective on, on that process. And usually what comes out is we didn't listen to our customers, right? Our, our assumptions were invalid because we weren't gathering the data and gathering the feedback in the right way. Well, this sounds like a good place to, to kind of stop here. Yeah. Um, so Eric has a new book coming out uh, that I think our listeners will actually enjoy. Yeah? What's it called? Let's let Eric tell us. Uh, so the book is called Build the Right Things, How to Design and Build a Product People Will Love. Uh, you can get it at buildtherightthings.com. Um, you can also find it through my, my website, uh, fullcycleproduct.com. Um, it's also available on Amazon in ebook and physical, um, book format. Um, there's also an audio book that's available currently only from, from my website, but, uh, working on getting that up on, on audible as well. Well, I loved that interview. That was a good one, Michael. And a huge thanks to Eric Weiss, who also has a great podcast too, that has just come out. That's called full cycle product development. And also we have some great content coming up here. I'm not going to give away anything too much, but but it's going to be good. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Stay tuned. We'll be right back here next week with more from Rocketship FM. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. 
Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.